and welcome to The Shade Tree Files, a podcast that uncovers Canada's hidden history. I'm your host, Andy King. The Shade Tree Files uncovers Canada's hidden history, cloaked in the shade of time. Today's episode, The White Bird. White bird, or as it's known in French, l'oiseau blanc, is considered to be one of the greatest mysteries in the history of aviation. The white bird was a French Lavoisier PL-8 biplane that disappeared in 1927 during an attempt to make the first non-stop transatlantic flight between Paris and New York City. You may recognize a more familiar name that successfully completed this trip. His name was Charles Lindbergh. Two weeks after the French attempted to cross the Atlantic, Charles Lindbergh successfully made the New York-Paris journey and claimed the prize flying his Spirit of St. Louis. Spirit of St. Louis, or as we know it, the Spirit of St. Louis, was flown by Charles Lindbergh. But what isn't known is that two weeks earlier, two French World War I aviation heroes by the names of Charles Nungesset and Francois Colli took their biplane from Paris on May 8, 1927, but was never heard from again. In the 1980s, new evidence surfaced that suggested their aircraft probably reached Newfoundland. If the wreckage can be found, it would alter history and oust Lindbergh as being the first to make the non-stop transatlantic journey. Up next, solving the mystery of the White Bird. Travel back to the year 1919 when a New York hotel owner by the name of Raymond Ortigue offered a reward of $25,000, which would be the equivalent of about $350,000 in today's dollars. He offered a prize to the Aero Club of America, and Ortigue sent this letter which stated, Gentlemen, As a stimulus to the courageous aviators, I desire to offer, through the auspices and regulations of the Aero Club of America, a prize of $25,000 to the first aviator of any allied country crossing the Atlantic in one flight from Paris to New York or New York to Paris. All other details are in your care. Yours sincerely, Raymond Ortiz. Ortigue's offer stood for five years with the goal of the prize seeming beyond the capacity of any aircraft or pilots of the time. 
no competitors were attracted to the competition. Finally, in 1926, the first serious attempt on the prize was made by a team led by French flying ace René Fonck, backed by the aviator designer Sikorsky. Sikorsky put $100,000 towards the attempt and built an aircraft called the S-35. In September of that year, Fonk, with three companions, made their flight. However, the aircraft was hopelessly overloaded and crashed in flames on takeoff. Fonk and his co-pilot, Curtin, survived, but his companions were killed. In 1927, three more groups attempted to make the journey. A polar explorer by the name of Richard Byrd with Floyd Bennett in a plane designed by Anthony Foker. Uh, aviators Ch Clarence Chamberlain and Bert Acosta planned an attempt in a Balanca. And a third team of Stanton Wooster and Noel Davis prepared to fly in the American Legion. Meanwhile, however, in France, Charles Nungessier and Francois Cali were preparing an east-west crossing in their Lavoisier aircraft, the White Bird. The aviators of the White Bird, Francois Cali, age 45, was a World War I veteran and a recipient of the French Legion of Honor. He'd be making record-breaking flights in and around the Mediterranean Sea and had been planning a transatlantic flight since 1923. His colleague, Nun Gessier, had been planning an independent attempt of crossing solo uh, to win the prize, but initial discussions led to the company owner insisting that Kali be considered as his navigator in a new two-place variant of the Lavoisier PL-4. The PL-8 was a biplane based on the PL-4, and major modifications were made to it, including the reinforcement of the plywood fuselage and removing two of the forward cockpits so the main cockpit could be widened to allow the two aviators to sit side by side. The wingspan of the aircraft was also increased, to about 50 feet. Two additional fuel tanks remain mounted aft of the firewall, meaning the PL-8's three fuel tanks held a total of 4,000 liters of gasoline. Now, it is commonly thought that the French aviators were lost at sea, but what's important to consider is that their aircraft, the PL-8, incorporated several safety features in case they had to ditch at sea. Apart from small floats attached directly to the underside of the lower wing, the main unit of the fixed tail skid undercarriage could be jettisoned on takeoff in order to reduce the aircraft's weight. The underside of the fuselage was given a boat-like shape and made watertight for water landings. The French aviator's plan was to make a water landing in New York in front of the Statue of Liberty.
Once the aircraft was finished being constructed, it was christened L'Oiseau Blanc, the White Bird, and was painted completely white. It had the French tricolor markings on it, along with Nun Gassier's personal World War I flying ace logo, a skull, and crossbones. Candles and a coffin on a black heart painted on the side of the fuselage. The biplane carried no radio and only relied on celestial navigation. With the aircraft painted and ready, it took off at 5.17 a.m. on May 8, 1927 from Le Bourget Field in Paris, heading for New York. Their plane weighed around 5,000 kilograms, 11,000 pounds, on takeoff, extremely heavy for such a small single-engine aircraft. It barely cleared a line of trees at the end of the runway. Their intended flight path was a Great Circle route, which would have taken them across the English Channel, over the southern part of England and Ireland, across the Atlantic to Newfoundland, south over Nova Scotia, towards Boston, and finally, a water landing in New York City. Once the aircraft was in the air, the biplane was escorted to the French coast by four military aircraft. It was last seen over the town of Dungarvan, and a Catholic priest reported it sighted over Carrigholt. There were no further verified reports of the aircraft after it left the Irish coast. Crowds of people gathered in New York City to witness the historic arrival of the French aircraft, with tens of thousands of people crowding into Battery Park in Manhattan to have a good view of the Statue of Liberty where the aircraft was supposedly supposed to land in the water. Rumors began circulating that the White Bird had been sighted along its route in Newfoundland. The White Bird never made it to New York, and it was presumed lost. The Canadian government started a search and rescue to find the aircraft, but one of their plane eventually crashed also. Searchers also included the French Navy, the U.S. Navy, and the Royal Canadian Navy, which scoured around Labrador, the northeast coast of the U.S., and around the St. Lawrence River. With no sign of the lost aircraft, further search efforts were abandoned. Twelve days later, Charles Lindbergh, flying solo in the spirit of St. Louis, took off from New York on his own famous journey. After a flight of 33 hours and 30 minutes, he arrived in Paris. Now this is where the mystery gets interesting. The mainstream view was that the White Bird crashed over the Atlantic due to a squall. However, 12 witnesses in Newfoundland and Maine claimed to have heard the aircraft as it passed overhead. Residents in Harbor Grace, Newfoundland reported sighting a white aircraft circling in fog on May 9, 1927. With no aircraft on the island and no flights taking place on the island, 
local newspapers highlighted this mystery aircraft. Rumors began to circulate that the aircraft had crashed in Newfoundland and actually reported aircraft wreckage was seen in August 1927 off the coast of New York. But what's interesting is that a rumor circulated in 1930 that the White Bird's engine had been located in the state of Maine, but this was later unconfirmed. In 1948, reports that caribou hunters and trappers had found aircraft wreckage in the Great Gull Pond of Newfoundland. Then, in the 1980s, a freelance writer, Gunnar Hansen of North Har Northeast Harbor, Maine, researched and published an article in the June 1980 issue of Yankee Magazine titled The Unfinished Flight of the White Bird. The author revealed how a hermit living near Machias Maine claimed that on May 9, 1927, he heard a sputtering aircraft fly over his isolated house at Round Lake. The hermit had not been able to see the aircraft because of fog, but had heard what sounded like a crash or forced landing deep in the woods. The hermit, by the name of Barry, tried to locate the crash site but was unsuccessful. The author of the article and others did a great deal of research during the 1980s and located multiple witnesses who reported memories of an aircraft flying from Nova Scotia down towards Maine on that date. Moving along to 1984, the French government made an official investigation into the White Bird, concluding that it was possible the aircraft had reached Canada. In 1989, NBC's television series The Unsolved Mysteries advanced the theories that the two aviators made it across the ocean, but probably crashed in Maine. Famed author Clive Cussler and his NUMA organization also attempted to solve the mystery of the White Bird. They looked in both Maine and Newfoundland without any results. The only hard evidence that was ever found were pieces of plywood and canvas that were found in Maine. Other pieces, such as the engine and the aluminum fuel tanks, would have remained after so many years, but most of the other parts would have disintegrated. Engine metal was also found in the town of Machias that was not typical to the United States or Canada. Two local residents there described a large metal object, which was, in quotes, a big motor, had been dragged out of the woods for salvage along a logging road. Did the white bird actually make it to Canada? If so, this would change history completely, annihilating Charles Lindbergh's claim of being the first aircraft to make it non-stop across the Atlantic Ocean. Although the remains of the aircraft have yet to be found, the mystery continues and pieces of the aircraft may or may not still be out there waiting to be found, changing history 
Thanks for joining me for The Shade Tree Files. I'm your host, Andy King. I look forward to sharing more history mysteries with you, hiding in the shade of time. Thank you.